You know, we are now in the sections of the Torah, the Parashiot, uh, with, which, which is about Yitziat Mitzrayim, you know, the uh, exodus from Egypt. So I thought it would be really very, very good if you had uh, an introduction. Words, what's the basis of all this? You know, so I thought that would be very good. I never really elaborated on this. You know, I, I, although I have mentioned different aspects from time to time. But it would be very, this is a very important, uh, you know, um, chapter, so to speak, in the Torah about what the ongoing plan is, you see. And most people are completely unaware, but I think it would be very useful uh, as a reference point to what the divine agenda really is. You know, anyway. <coughs> uh, we know <coughs> that the Rabboni Shalom, that he creates the entire world with what's called the Sfirot, and those are divine forces. Now, we don't know what the nature of these things are. They are, uh, in many ways, of the highest order. But they're basically forces, divine that God uses to create realities. And he has created many realities, you see. Now, the ones that, there are like, there are ten of them, which we know, <clears throat> but three of them um, are very much significant. And that is Chesed. We have uh, the fourth sphira, which is Chesed. And then we have another sphira, which is Gevura. Chesed is, you can use the word kindness, although it really means more than that, you know, which I'll explain. Then there's Gevura, which is uh, strength. <clears throat> and then there's Teferet, which is um, beauty, if you want to use that word. You know, and what it really is is they are, besides being forces, which God uses, you know, to maintain the world and so on. They are also describe characteristics of God. Midot. Now, what Chesed describes <clears throat> is that God has a unique characteristic. And what that is, is that he sends forth a Shefa. A Shefa is an influence. It's an energy of some sort. <clears throat> but the key concept of Chesed, okay, which is the product that God sends forth, is that he will send forth that flow of energy regardless if a person deserves it or not. In other words, this flow of Kiddushah, of holiness, if you want to use that word, that God sends forth, is not connected to any act of anybody, any act of mankind. 
It's not connected. It's purely the will of God that he wants to bestow tremendous goodness, toiv, positivity to a being. And what is important is that it's not connected at all to uh, the acts of a man, the acts of a human, you see. So it's purely what's called a gift. (coughs) 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 It's purely a, a gift. So that's what chesed really is. To bestow a certain toiv without any consideration of the receiver of that toiv. So that person does not have to in any way deserve it or have (laughs) justified the toiv, the goodness that the person receives. And that is a meed of God where he will bestow what is unique to him, which is holiness, actually what it really is, is existence. You see, regardless of the person, the receiver, that he gives it. Which means that the receiver doesn't have to do anything <coughs> to justify or deserve that toiv. Then there's another sfira, a mida, a characteristic, called givura, which means strength. And what that is, that's the opposite of chesed. It's where God withholds the mida, or rather the energy, the holiness that he wants to give. He withholds it. So the power of withholding is gevura. So you have chesed, which is giving, and you have gevura, which is a characteristic of God, where he withholds the toiv, you see. (coughs) So you have those two characteristics. Then there's a third characteristic, which is called teferis. And what teferis is, is a blending of chesed and gvura, which means that God will send forth toiv, but this time it's based on the acts of a person. So there's a blending where God gives and God will restrain and the amount of restraining (coughs) depends on the receiver. (coughs) You see, so therefore you have those three characteristics. <coughs> anyway. Now, <clears throat> those three characteristics already have been manifested or expressed in three individuals. <coughs> you see. The first individual is Avram Avinu. Now, Avram Avinu, he was what's called the, so you can look at it as um, the model for chesed. (coughs) (coughs) The model of chesed. 
which means that Avram Avinu not only did chesed, you see, where he would try to give tremendous goodness to different people, you see, and uh, that is illustrated by when he was sick, after he performed the bris on himself, <clears throat> and he was, of course, he had a tent that had four doors, and you can enter his temp- tent uh, one of the four, any one of the four directions. Because what he wanted to do is he had this tremendous need or desire to give good to people. It was just his characteristic, you see. <coughs> <coughs> And that was his mid of chesed, which is really very important, you see. Now, that was Avram Avinu. And the story of Avram, you know, it really illustrates that midah, like I say. Especially with the story with the, the three malachim that came to his tent. And he, we see what he did. Immediately, he ran to give them the best food and so on. So Avram Avinu had this tremendous need to do chesed. <clears throat> you know. Now, the second of Yitzchak, he had this tremendous midah of gvura. Each one of them took on the midah of God in a exemplary fashion. Now, the interesting thing about Yitzchak was, of course, he also did chesed. But Yitzchak had this incredible personal strength. He could say no to himself. In other words, he could deny himself temptations. And if he felt they were wrong, he had this personal strength to deny these things to himself. <laughs> you see. So that was the concept of Gvura by Yitzchak. You see. So he illustrated or he exemplified that midah of Gvura. He had this tremendous uh, personal, like I say, personal ability to say no to himself. You see, we can call that tremendously disciplined, you know, <clears throat> in terms of what he would want to do and what he would not want to do. And that's really what he did. And we find the difference between both of these people, Avram Avinu, was tremendously into Kirov. You know, he was tremendously into bringing people to the belief of God. And that's what he did. He and Sarah, they created many Gerim, many proselytes, converts, because they were into giving Toiv, bringing the belief of God to as many people as they could. You know. <clears throat> so that was Avram Avino. That all comes from the Midah, the characteristic called Chesed. Yitzchak, however, you know, you don't find him doing that, but Yitzchak was in tremendous control of himself. In fact, that's what you see in Perke Avot, <coughs> where it says, Eze Gibor Akrivish Yitzroy, who is a strong person, right? Not somebody who can overcome somebody else, but Akovish is Yitzroy, somebody who can overcome his own inclination. 
because he has this tremendous ability of death, of discipline <coughs> to say no to himself. So that's what Yitzchak did. He just worked on himself, you know, to try to reach the greatest height of avodah, of, of, of uh, serving God, in terms of davening prayer, you know, in all kinds of ways, you see. In a certain way, it's a super strength of his own desires <clears throat> to channel them in the way, the correct way. So that's Yitzchak. Then what you also had is Yaakov Avinu. Now Yaakov Avinu exemplified the middle. Now the middle is what? Is a blending of Chesed and Yuvura. <clears throat> you see, so Yaakov blended these two attributes, and in the end, that's really the way the world works. Doesn't work through pure Chesed. Doesn't work through pure Gvura. You see, but it does work where a person has to deserve. That's the reality, the truth of the matter. So uh, Yaakov was into what's called truth, or reality. And that reality really is the Torah. Because the Torah is clearly <laughs> a description of the reality, all the realities that God created. That's a very important idea. So therefore we have the three characteristics of God. We have Chesed, Gevur, and Tveris, which are forces, but like I say, they are also characteristics of God. And these characteristics <clears throat> are exemplified with the three of us. You see. Now, what is interesting is this. Is that if you take a look at Chesed, well, Chesed has Avram Avinu that exemplifies that. <clears throat> Gevura, strength or might is exemplified by Yitzchak. And Yaakov exemplifies Tiferes, which is beauty. And beauty, we know, is when you have a harmonious blending of many, many different things into one unified object. That's why it's called beauty. You know, uh, um, that's what beauty really is. It's when everything is blended into one, where it's all unified. You see, uh, for instance, beauty in music. You know, if you take a look at, uh, let's say, a Beethoven symphony, well, all it is is a bunch of notes, which are sound frequencies, you see. But when you put them all together in the right form, then it all blends in a way which is harmonious, unified, so it becomes a symphony. That, that's why it's called beautiful, you see, or beauty in art, for instance, <laughs> where painting has many different elements. You know, it, it has the painting, the color, the shape, the perspective, everything, but it all comes together in a unified way. So that's beauty. <laughs> the same thing with truth. Reality is a blending of many different forces. They may be individual, they may be opposites of each other, but in forming reality, 
it becomes one, each one acting in the way that is appropriate for it. Now, <clears throat> what is important about this is that Ferris, like I say, is a middle midah. It's between chesed and gvura. In fact, it blends the two. That's what it is. So in that sense, it's a middle. But if that's the case, then we realize that that which is a middle of something <coughs> that which is a middle of something has a right side and a left side. You see. So that's interesting. That Teferis has a right side of it. But since it's a middle, it also has a left side. So the right side of Teferis itself is Chesed. <coughs> the right side is Chesed. The right side of Teferis is Chesed. And the left side is Gevura. But in Tferis, they're all together. But still, you have a right side, which leans toward Chesed, and you have a left side of Tferis, which leans to Gvura. So the question is, well, <coughs> if Chesed is exemplified by Avram Avinu, and Gvura is exemplified as a characteristic trait by Yitzchak, then who exemplifies first? Now we know the answer. The answer is Yaakov. But wait a minute. I said that Teferis has a right and a left side. So is it true? Is it true? Is it true that the right side is exemplified by one person and the left side would be exemplified by another. Now that would be very interesting. You see. <laughs> and the truth is that's exactly what is. There is an individual that exemplifies the right side of Ferris. Who is that person? That person is Yaakov Ovino. So he represents the right side of Ferris. You see. He manifests that meter. But who represents the left side? And the answer is Esau. Which is incredible. That means Esau exemplifies, as I said, <coughs> the left side of one of the spheres. In other words, he exemplifies the Ferris, but the left part or the left side of the Ferris, which is a, a fascinating idea. Because whoever exemplifies a meter of the Rabbanu Shalom at that level is an Ov, is a patriarch. That's right. It's a patriarch. Avram Avinu is a patriarch. He's an Ov, represents Chesed. Gevura is represented by Yitzchak, who is also an Ov. Yaakov represents Tferes, but we now understand it's the right side of Ferris. So he's an of, he's a patriarch. And guess what? 
Esau represents the left side of Tveris. So he also is an Av. Now that's incredible when you think about that. Most people think of Esau as a Russia, which of course is exactly what he became. But Esau started out <clears throat> not as a Russia, and we'll get into that, but he started out as the equal of Yaakov Avinu. Correct. So we now begin to see something remarkable that you really have four of us, not three. We have Avram, Yitzchok, Yaakov, and Esau. Because you need four people to exemplify the, two, the, the spheres of Chesed, Gevura, and Teferis. So therefore, what do we have? We have actually four of us. Now, most people find that shocking, but that's exactly what there are. And the Ramchal talks about this, you see, in Kinnis Hashem Tzavokas, you know, but it's also brought down, believe it or not, by Rashi. Yeah, most people would be stunned to know that, basically, Rashi says the same thing. And I'm going to mention things which are, in many ways are astounding, you know, to show you that Ace of Zenov, uh, now, let's let's take a look at this, you see, you know. The Medrash says, right, actually, there's an individual, his name is the Paneach Rozo, who is a Rishon, one of the early commentators on the Torah. And he says that if Esav had done his job <clears throat> as a patriarch, he would have been twice as great as Yaakov Avino, which is incredible. And I'll talk about that, what his job was. In other words, Esav had the more difficult job as an of than Yaakov. And if he would have done his job, he would have been twice as great as Yaakov Avinu. And we're talking about Esav now. Where do we see this? Because the numerical value of Esav, right, is twice the numerical value of Yaakov with a, spelled with a, a vav. You see. So that shows you that not only was Esav an of, a patriarch, one of the four, he could have been twice as great as Yaakov Avino, which I will talk about. You see. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, there's a medrash that says that had Esav not strayed and become a Russia then Yaakov would have had six Shvatim, six, right? And Esav would have had six. That means they would have split the number of Shvatim, you see? Because each one had the Neshama of an Av, and because they had the Neshama of an Av, they could have a lower Neshama called a Shevet. Uh, so since Yaakov Avinu was an of, patriarch, he could have an Ishama lower. He could have the Ishama of a tribe. Uh, you see? And therefore, he could have had, he would have had six tribes. Six Shvatim. Esau, had he not become a Russia, had he done the job of who he was, which is uh, an of, patriarch, then he would have had the other six. So what does that tell you? I mean, what does it tell you? It's incredible. 
we now begin to understand something very important. That Yaakov and Esau minimally were equal in their origin. They were both equal. And like I pointed out with the Paneach Rosa commentary, that Esau could have been twice as great as Yaakov Avinu had he not strayed and become a Russia. That's a very important idea, as you will see. It's not just theory, but this is a very fundamental foundation of the Hashkofa, of the blueprint, as we will see. We now understand something very, very interesting. <clears throat> Why was Yaakov and Esau twins? We know they were twins, and we know they were identical. You know, even though Esau was red, <laughs> a lot of hair and so on, you know. But basically, they were identical. You see? Where do you see that? You see that by when Esau <laughs> withheld or denied uh, the Shvatim from burying Yaakov Avinu after he died in Egypt. They took him to the Mars Machpelah, right? And they wanted to bury him. So all of a sudden, Esau said, what do you mean? I also have half. I also have, uh, you know, a plot in the Mars Machpelah. And he's actually stopped them from burying Yaakov. You see. So there was a person called Don, a Chushim ben Don, Chushim the son of Don, apparently who's uh, deaf, he couldn't, he couldn't hear. Anyway, so he was wondering what's happening here. Why is Esau stopping this whole procession to bury uh, Yaakov Avinu in the Mars HaMachpelah? Right? That's what he said. Uh, and he didn't hear the dialogue, but he just knew that this is a bizoyan to Yaakov Avinu, his grandfather. So what did he do? It says he took his sword and he looked at Esau. He wanted to kill Esau, but he couldn't because he looked at him and he says when he looked at Esau, he looked just like Yaakov Avinu. We know why, because he's a twin. So he had to go behind Esau, took his sword, and he chopped his head off. Killed him. So what's interesting is that the head of Esau falls into the keva, into the grave that they were now going to put Yaakov Avinu, which is very symbolic. But from there you see <clears throat> that uh, Esau looked exactly like Yaakov Avinu. So the question is, why were they twins? How can you have twins, right, that are so different? You know, you have Yaakov is one, Esau is a Russia. How could they be twins? And the answer is you now know why. The reason why they were Tu'umim, twins, like they told this to uh, Rivka, you know, there will be twins inside of you because they both came from Tiferes. That's why. They both came from the same sphere. They had the same origin, you see. And the origin was the sphere called Tiferes. And they both exemplified that sphere, uh, you see. And therefore, since they had the same origin, therefore they were twins. That's why. It's really it's, uh, amazing. And so on, you see. Uh, it wasn't just by accident that they were twins. 
But like I say, they came from the same sphere, same spiritual origin, and therefore they had to be twins, you see. So this is what we see, very important, of who Esav really was, you see. <clears throat> now, we begin to realize then that there has to be four of us. It's not enough that there are three. Why would there have to be four? And like I said, because each sphere has to be represented by a person who is so great that he has the neshama of an of, a patriarch, you see. <clears throat> and therefore you had chesed to Avram, you had gevura to Yitzchok. But since Tferes is a middle midah characteristic, right, that combines chesed and gevura, therefore you have to have two people. One person cannot represent that middle midah. Why? Because there are two sides to the midah. Now, you're going to ask, wait a minute, what's the mission of these people? You know, we, we know that Avram Avinu was chesed, right? We know that Yitzhak was gvura, strength, <clears throat> and so on. But what's the mission of Yaakov and Esav? And what does it mean that they emerged from Tvers? And the answer is that the Torah tells us what their mission, what their purpose is. So, it says that Yaakov Avinu was Yoshev Eholim. He uh, dwelt in tents. Was Esav was Ishsodeh. He was a man of the field. Now, what is it telling us? Is it merely telling us that this was their major preoccupation? Where Yaakov Avinu would dwell in tents and Esav uh, <clears throat> uh, would be a field man, you know, man of the field, a hunter? No. Yeshiva Hola means this. The job of Yaakov Avino, uh, you see, was to spread holiness. It is called Hispashtus Kidusha, or Hikpashtut Kidusha. To spread Kidusha, holiness, righteousness, throughout. That was his job. That's why he was Yoshiva Olam. That is why he was a dweller of tents, uh, which means that he used to learn Torah all day long. <coughs> That's what he did, you see. He was a tremendous masmid, you know, where he learned Torah all day long. Because his job was to bring down holiness, you see. By being absorbed in the Torah, he would bring down the the Kedushah of the Torah, he would bring holiness into the world as an of, as a patriarch. That was his job. What is the job of Esav? He had a different job. Uh, it's one thing to bring down Kedushah, but then somebody has to fight evil. And this was the problem that there's a tremendous amount of evil in the world. We know what that is, which I had mentioned, the concept of the Satan, who is the root of all evil, and the concept of the Zoyhamo, the, con the uh, contaminant that the Satan projects into the entire world. 
somebody has to challenge, fight with the Satan and destroy him. You see, that is the job of Isav. In other words, somebody has to go into the world, which is the residence of the Satan, where all the evil is done, and has to fight and challenge the Satan and destroy him. How? By remaining righteous, even though you're in his uh, environment. Very important idea. That is called Kafiyas Hurrah, or Kafirat, or excuse me, Kafiyat Hurrah, to subjugate evil. So the job of Esau is to subjugate evil. How? Because he was an Ish Soder, a man of the field. That would mean that Esau would go out into the world, you see, and remain righteous, you see, in order to subdue the Satan. And that was the job of Esau. Because if Esau would be able to subdue the Satan by remaining righteous, then he would take away a tremendous amount of strength, koach, <coughs> that the Satan had. You see, so it comes out that the terminology that the Torah uses is really a description of their mission, of their function, their purpose. Yaakov Avinu's purpose is to bring down Kedusha. And Esav's purpose is not to bring down Kedusha, but it is really to cancel out Tumor, or, you know, evil Zoyamor. And therefore, he was a man of the field, which means that he would go into the world, right, and remain righteous. It's almost like a traveling tzaddik in that sense. And because of that, he would be able to diminish and take away a tremendous amount of yuniko, or yunuko, whatever, yuniko, that the satan had, because the satan was able to draw out a tremendous amount of, of holiness from the sins of people and so on. And it was the job of Esau to do that. So in order to do that, Esau was connected to the shirish of evil. In other words, he is a shirish neshama, and all of a patriarch is a root soul, you see, that can give rise to tribes. And he was connected to the root of evil. Therefore, if Esau would do a mitzvah, it would severely diminish the power of the Satan. That's really what they were. You see, they had similar jobs uh, where they would have to deal with the reality of Kedusha and Tumor. But Esau would deal with it by confronting evil and remaining righteous. And since he is an Ov, since he is a patriarch, he would be able to destroy you see, the, the strength of the Satan as an of, because he's a root soul, destroying a root soul called the Satan. You see, and, and Yaakov, as I said, <clears throat> what he would do is he would bring down Torah holiness, and that would be his specialty. So we see, therefore, that these two ideas is critical. They form the basis 
of a great deal of the differences between Jews. Are you in the field of fighting evil? Which means you have to enter the evil world or the world that there are so many temptations. You see, these are the guys, for instance, just to give an example, a guy's got to work in Wall Street or a guy's got to work in the Diamond District, <clears throat> right? He's got to go into the world that there's so much temptations and there's so much sinning and he has to withstand the temptations and remain righteous. So that's called Fia Surah. That's the job of Esau, you see. And then there are guys who don't do that. They are Rosh Hashivas. They can go to Yeshiva. They can sit all day and learn. They can give Shurim to Talmidim, right? They are responsible to proliferate Torah more and more, you see. So they are in the job of Yaakov Avinu. You see how it's divided? So Klai Yisrael in general, <coughs> as exemplified by Yaakov and Esav, really has those two jobs. One person has to go into the world of work or into environments which clearly are very detrimental and tempting and withstand the temptations. Another person, his life would be centered around Torah, a yeshiva, or to be in kolel, you see? Because in the end, the basic jobs of Klai Yisrael is to weaken the Satan, right? And then to bring down the holiness, you see? And this is the origin, not totally, but you now begin to see the split of two different types of Avodah, right? And the Avodah of Esau, in many ways, is the Avodah of Mashiach ben Yosef, because that's what he has to do. Now you begin to understand his task, the messianic process, where evil has to be destroyed, you see. All the Kedusha that the Sultan has taken and nourished has to be restored to the side of Kedusha. And then the second job is called Hispashtis Kedusha, you see, which is to bring down the rest of the holiness, the rest of the tremendous Shefa into the world. And therefore, Klai Yisrael is divided in those two types of people. There are people who are always contending with their Satan. And we know people like that. You know, they have all kinds of drives, urges, you know, all types of temptations. And they're always battling the Satan, you know, the Zoyama. <clears throat> and then there are people, somehow, they're able to give shurim, you know, they, go, they work in a yeshiva, they fight, they, be, they become a rashiva, or they become a paisek, or whatever, and their, their lives are the lives of Kiddushah. <clears throat> How do we explain this divergence? And this is the origin of that divergence, Yaakov and Esau. So what we now understand, which is the basis of the foundation, what Yaakov, who, that there are really four of us, that there's Yaakov and Esau, both of them are of, we understand the mission or the task of Yaakov and Esau. And we also understand how this gives rise, you see, to the Jewish people how it gives a rise, what's called the division of labor, you see, 
So this is a very important idea that clearly is going to be a fundamental part of the blueprint of the Bria in terms of the two jobs. And like I said, they are very uh, illustrative of Mashiach ben Yosef, which is Esav, and Mashiach ben David, which is Yaakov. You see. So that's what I've done now, is set aside or try to examine <coughs> and explain uh, something which is unknown to most people, you see, <clears throat> you know. And that is the job, you know. And I will continue with this as we, as we begin to see how this really answers the concept of Egypt, the concept of, you know, the, it really answers a great deal of what's going on in the world the two different missions, and the two different jobs. Any questions so far? No. Wow. I hope that means everybody understood it very well. But like I said, what was that? Yes, we did. Great. But I want to tell you something. This is not a drusha. This is not, you know, uh, some kind of a sermon. This is a fundamental understanding of the fabric, of the, the blueprint itself. And you begin to understand, like I said, why Jewish people are divided into those two different areas. Because there are people who always have to contend with the Satan. And there are people who... They just have to worry about bringing down Kedusha, increasing holiness in the world. Because fundamentally, like I said, you know, we're going to see that these are carried out by Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. But then the story gets fascinating as I will continue next week. Because then you really see how it plays out. Yeah, what was that? So does it, does it, uh, like... But two questions. One, so like your different tikkun uh, that you have to do in this world is really originating from like from them too, since it depends which. Yeah, it really became it really became split by those two, Yaakov and Esav. <clears throat> and then, so then the erev rav are they considered like they're from Esav's side? Well, they are certainly people who have became, become the soldiers of the Satan, yes. They are Jews that have relinquished, you know, their, their task of combating the Satan. And, you know, they're just thrown in the towel. And they are doing the job, uh, you know, the air route, they do the job of the Satan, exactly. So in a certain sense, they are like Esau who became evil, which we'll talk about. Because that's what happened eventually. Instead of Esau destroying the Satan, he joined him. He partnered with him. And he became tremendously evil. You see? And we'll talk about that. But that's really the era of Rav. They have become like Esau. You see? And have become part of the evil side. Yes. Correct. I have a question. So now you, yeah, go ahead. I have a question about the um, 
Sefirot with the Ten Makot from the Parasha. Yes. They were saying, I was reading it in, in Mamla, they were saying how um, the Makot were actually brought through different stars that Hashem designated uh, <laughs> through the Sefirot. <coughs> Like the way uh, the, if Hashem moved the star in a certain position, in a different position, that's how dif- the different makot came about. Yeah, yes. Well, that's the whole concept of astrology, really, you know. We don't understand how, but the shefa, which means the, the actual the energies that shape the world or determine the direction of the world, goes through... They are determined in heaven, obviously, and they originate in heaven. But how do they come to the earth? They come through the stars, you see. We don't know exactly how, but that is the study of astrology. So if you know the study of astrology, then you could figure out, you know, the different planets and the, it's called the houses, you know, and the different times of the day, you know. You can predict based on the configuration of the stars, together with the planets and the time of the day and so on, you know, you can predict what the, the Shefa, what Shefa is coming down from Shemayim to the earth. That's the real origin of astrology, of which we are really completely in the dark, how it works, you see. But one who knows astrology can actually figure it out by looking at the configuration, you know, of constellations, Mazarot, uh, and also the planets, <coughs> you know, and so on, the zodiac, everything, that you can figure out what is now being projected to the earth based on the configuration of the stars. That's astrology. So that's what happens. If God wants to send a Makkah, what it really is, is a Sphira. That's really what they were. The ten Makot are really the ten Sphirot, which are now aimed at Egypt and destroys it. So the way he would do that is he would reconfigure the, the stars and whatever in order to convey that Shefa or that energy of the Sphira. And he would bring it down to Egypt. You see? That's how God does that. He can reconfigure uh, the Mazalot and so on. And somehow they convey all that divine energy. Like I said, we don't really know how it works. But obviously there is a Chokhmah that the Egyptians used to know. And Moshe Rabbeinu, of course. And, uh, you know, that's the whole study of astrology. The real astrology. That is so the way if, he did it, yes. If stars have so much power, is that... They don't have the power. No, they don't I mean, have like, the power. Uh, no, they're a vehicle. Hashem, Hashem's power. Yes, they are, yeah, they, that's right, yeah. Okay, so yeah. is that why Jews, uh, Hashem compared us to the stars? Because really, we are also vehicles that through us, we could affect the world as well. Yes, that's true, yeah. We are compared to the stars because just like they can transmit 
you know, different energies and so on, and forces and so on, the same thing with the Jews. The only difference is, is that the stars are conduits. You know, the, it doesn't originate with them. They just convey it. The Jews are the origin. So when you do a mitzvah, you send up a force, you see, uh, to heaven, and automatically you activate or arouse a sphere that sends a force in response to what your mitzvah is, and it sends it back down. So the Jew is the originator of the force of the Shefa, because we have free will. The stars, however, are basically what's called conduits, pipes. They just convey. But the key is, what is the origin of the type of force being conveyed? So by the Jews, since we have free will, we actually originate it, whereas the stars convey it. But it emanates from both directions. So now, you see? The, well, yeah. they said in the beginning when Mashiach comes, the star of Mashiach is going to be like, um, it's, three, it's like, I don't know, I think as they said it's like five times the size of Earth. And it's going to, like, show, appear in the sky as looking like fire in the sky. But it's really the star of Yaakov. They said Kochav of Yaakov, which is the star of Mashiach. And he's going to be fighting against seven other stars. Yeah. And then, and then once the, 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 the war in Shamaim is end, then it comes down into this earth as physicality where he pronounces himself as Mashiach. So... Would it, why, would, why would that happen first as a star versus, like, why would that happen first? Well, because, again, the star is the vehicle that conveys the force of, that, of the Mashiach. <clears throat> it's, it's almost like an emblem, you know. So the star is the emblem that represents or signifies the force of the Mashiach. And that will war against the other stars that are emblems of the evil, you know, of the evil of the world and so on. So therefore you have one configuration fighting or overcoming, I should say, another configuration, you see. And that's the ultimate battle. That is the battle, ultimately speaking. You know, I once told you that there are, remember I told you that there are eight persecutory agents. So if you don't count the Erev Rav, which are Jews, then there are seven persecutory agents. And those seven stars would be the representation, astronomically, or rather astrologically, of those seven, seven nations. You see, each one is a clipo. So you have battle between the star of the Mashiach and the battle between the stars of the Umus Oilam. You see. And we're gonna we're gonna see this? We're gonna what? We're gonna see this with our physical eye? Uh well, yeah, that's what it says. Yeah. That's what it says, yeah. So it's yes. Yeah, 
that would be interesting. Because when I was reading it, like, on the... I was looking it up in, like, the scientific way. Like, I wanted to know what they say about it, you know what I mean, versus what we say about it. Yeah. And... They 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 are ju- they're just predicting that it's like this huge uh, planet that's going to come and destroy Earth and obviously they make it sound very very like yeah. uh, terrifying. Um, but for us as Jews, knowing <coughs> that that's the star of the Mashiach, actually <coughs> very exciting. Well, yeah, okay, I it's mean, one way of looking at it. It's frightening, but it's exciting too. No, but if you see that, then you know that it's here. Like that, that's yeah, but you have to know that that you have to know what it represents. If you don't know what it represents, it looks like the earth is about to be destroyed. Correct. That's why we have you. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> I like that answer. But, okay. So, um, then, Rabbi, so the other question I wanted to ask was about the Sifidot was when it it's not really Sifidot. I think it was in between the Olamot, the fervent. I don't understand what that is, technically. What is what? The word firmament, the seven firmament. Firmament. A firmament, the yeah. firmament is the heavens. Okay. That's what it is. So there's seven heavens? Uh, yeah, well, you don't divide it by heavens. You divide it by olamot, that there's uh, five olamot, putting... Way um Habo, which is called primordial man, but there's Atsilut, there's Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. We are in Asiya. That is called the place we are in. But Asiya itself has seven heavens, which means that there are seven subsections to Asiya. You see, so. Um, and then, so of course, is the, what's called the Oilman Shuffle. What? There's like seven, let, let's say, levels in each Olamot, that are, and each level is a fervorment, and the higher you get to the next level, and then that's how you could get to the next Olamot? Yeah, that's right. In fact, the Novi would travel through all the Olamot, which was amazing when you look at Yechezkel. That's what he did by the Maisim Rakova, the Divine Chariot. You know, it says there that he went through, he went through uh, four different levels, which meant that he went through four different olamot to access Olambria, or Atzilut, actually. Yeah, he would go through the heavens. His consciousness would see the different heavens as it moved through the heavens ultimately to gain an insight into the highest world, not just the heavens. But he had to go through all of them to get to Atzilut. And that's where he would see his prophetic message. You see? So I have a question. So, so yeah. then it's seven... If, if there's, okay, so how did, it, does this have to do with the, the 50th level of wisdom? Does it have to do anything with that? Like to get through the No, the, no, that's different. That's please. the levels of Chochmah. Oh, got it, got it. That's different, yeah. <clears throat> that's right. So, okay. Um, great. So uh, next week we'll continue. 
with this entire understanding of a major part of the blueprint, which all starts from Yaakov and Esav. And then you'll see how a great deal of dots are connected. Okay. Okay. Have a great week. You too. Rabbi, thank you. That was fascinating. Really, really wonderful. Thank you. Yes. And you know, what the interesting thing about it, most people are unaware of this. No. You know, you, t- you yeah, tell we... people, by the way, Aesop is an of, or was an of, whatever, and they look at you and they think you're crazy. So is that why his head was zocher to be, to be buried? Is that one yes. of the reasons? Yes. Because you think about it, how in the world would God allow Aesop's head to be buried with Yaakov Avinu. Right. It's incredible when you think about that. Yeah, okay, we know, we know, I mean, we know the story, but it's far beyond the story. What's his head doing by Yaakov Avinu? You know, and the answer is because the head of Esav wasn't the Russia. It was his body. You see, where he succumbed to the Satan. But his head was holy. Because at the origin of his head, he was an of. And we'll talk about that. It's a lot to talk about. But that must be a terrible punishment to die like that and to not be buried together. Who, for Esav? Yeah. But I want to tell you something. Esav has Gan He does? I don't know if you realize that. What? No, I didn't know. Why? It, well, there's a medrash that says in the end of time, because uh, we're going to talk about that, that Esau does tshuva, but in the, in the end of time, it says there, remarkably, that uh, Esau, it says, is going is to be in Gan Eden, and he's going to sneak his way up to a higher level. That's what it says. And God is going to say to Esau, what are you doing here? You don't deserve to be at this level. Get back down to where you were. That's, that's a medrash. Now, could you believe this? The question is, how in the world did Esav get into Ghanaian in the first place? Right? Yeah. Forget about him climbing up to higher levels. What's he doing here? And that is the secret of Esav, which I've been talking about extensively. The whole concept of the Toiv Sheba Esav, and that Esav does Shuvah, and that I identified it with Trump and so on, you know? Yeah. That's, that shows you that in the end, Esau does return, which I will talk about. It's fascinating. Most people have no idea about this.